Welcome to episode 24 of the iPhone Life podcast. I'm Donna Cleveland, editor-in-chief of iPhone Life magazine. I'm Sarah Kingsbury, senior web editor of iPhoneLife.com. And I'm Connor Carey, feature web writer of iPhoneLife.com. We're very lucky and happy to have Connor here with us today. (laughs) Uh, So today we'll be discussing news, such as very important news that Tim Cook took a blurry photo at the Super Bowl this week. (gasps) Not cool. (laughs) And how one Apple user got Apple to replace his Sapphire Apple Watch screen for free. Uh, In our main section today, we'll be discussing music creation with your iPhone, and we'll be having special guest on iPhone Life contributor Mike Riley. And don't forget, Donna, that we're also doing a special follow-up section to our parenting podcast. That's right. If you tuned in a few weeks ago, Sarah and Noah discussed parenting with with their iPhones and how they navigate rules with their kids. And this week, we're having on two of their children, uh, Susanna and Miles, to tell us how they feel about their tech rules. So you have that to look forward to as well. And before we get into it, we want to quickly discuss our iPhone Life Insider program and let you know that we're doing a 30-day free trial right now. So if you go to iphonelife.com insider, you can sign up free for 30 days, no commitments, to see all that it has to offer which we'll tell you a little bit about. So we send out a one minute video tip every day that teaches you something cool you can do with your phone. And with the video, it guides you through it. You can rewatch it if you get confused. So it's just a great way to to learn how to do new things with your phone that you never knew you could do. We also have in-depth video tutorials, such as iCloud, iOS 9, family sharing, and it teaches you start to finish how to use new features and to get the most out of them. We also give you a full archive of our digital subscription to iPhone Life magazine and ask an editor where you can send in any questions whenever something arises that we might not address in our daily tips. You can send us a question and one of our editors will get back to you and help you troubleshoot and find a solution. So go to iphonelife.com insider for your free trial. And so now we're going to talk about one of our daily tips. Uh, Every day we send out daily tip, a daily tip newsletter for those who sign up, and it teaches you something to do with your phone. So this week, Connor's going to tell us what her favorite tip is. All right. My favorite tip from last week was how to snooze or mark reminders as completed from your lock screen. And this is my favorite because I actually just discovered that you could do this, <laughs> which oh, is sad since I write so many of the tips, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was. Um, I... I love it because I do so many reminders for so many different things, including like submitting work to publications. Mm -hmm. So if my deadline is a month out, I might keep telling it to remind me next day, next day, next day until I finally do it. So I really appreciate that I can just see it and be reminded quickly and then snooze. And so how you do that is from lock screen, when a reminder pops up, all you have to do is swipe to your left and you'll see the option to mark as complete or snooze. And you just tap it. Do you snooze a lot? I snooze my reminders a lot. Me too. Like my morning alarm, it snoozes quite often, yes. (laughs) And I like that you can choose like tomorrow or a week from now or 15 minutes. So I like this feature a lot, but sometimes it feels like like a certain reminder will keep on plaguing you. Like you'll That's you'll tap too. snooze, then you'll be like, ah, you again. <laughs> the reminder of shame. Yeah. <laughs> Do uh. it. So if you liked that tip and want to get uh, some more tips, we send out a free daily tip newsletter every day, and you can sign up at 
iphonelife.com slash daily tips. <laughs> and next we're going to talk about insider questions that came in this week. Sarah, when we say an ask an editor, we basically mean ask Sarah because she <laughs> is our expert. So she's going to tell us a couple of questions that she uh, fixed this week. All right, the first one is from Hayden, and he has a really common problem. He says, how do I remove unwanted slash unused apps on my iPhone? And there's two answers to that question. The first answer is you press and hold on any app icon, and they'll all start jiggling, and a little X will appear in the top left corner, and you just merrily tap the Xs (laughs) on any apps you don't want or don't use. But then as you're doing this, you'll probably notice that some of them don't have Xs, and those are Apple's stock apps, including the Stocks app, um, (laughs) which that's the one people like to complain about the most. And you can't delete them, which is really frustrating. And Apple has actually said that at some point in the future you will be able to. But in the meantime, the best thing to do is drag one of those stock apps onto another one to create a folder, and then just drag any apps you don't want but can't delete into that so they don't taunt you with their not going awayness. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first question. And the second one is a little more complex. Um, the, the insider writes, I just upgraded my iPhone 6 Plus to an iPhone 6S Plus, and I want to know if I have to reset and lose all the data on my Apple Watch to pair it with the new iPhone. And the answer is no, you don't. <laughs> um, just like when you upgrade your phone, you back it up and then restore the new phone from that backup, you basically do the same thing with your Apple Watch. And what you have to do is you, when you unpair the Apple Watch, that creates a backup. Um, so you, you unpair it actually from your iPhone. Um, so you're going to want to unpair it before you start the process to set up your new phone. But do it right before because you can't use your watch anymore until you've set it up again. So uh, you go to the, uh, the watch app on your iPhone, and you tap the My Watch tab, and then you tap Apple Watch, and then Unpair Apple Watch. And then, uh, and then you know, you go ahead and you back up your old phone, and you set it up and restore your new phone from that backup. And I can post links to Apple's, um, to Apple's uh, help pages on how to do step-by-step. It's pretty obvious if you just follow the directions on your phone and Apple Watch, it will pretty much just tell you what you should be doing. Um, But I can post links. And then um, when you're ready to pair your watch with the new iPhone, you open the the watch app on the new iPhone and you follow the directions, which will tell you, you know, like hold your iPhone like this so your iPhone, you know, your watch can pair with it. And then at some point you'll see a direction that, uh, an option to choose restore from backup. And you select that, and then your watch will pair with your new new iPhone and then uh, restore itself from the backup so all of your data will be there available on the Apple Watch again and on your new iPhone. Wow, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. good to know. (laughs) It's complex, and that's why I'm going to post some links on the... um, the podcast blog post, and you can see that at iphonelife.com slash podcast. Yeah, that does seem like an especially good tip with the potential new iPhone coming out in March. People yeah. might be changing phones, and I hadn't right. thought about that, that, needing to pair your Apple Watch with a new well, device. And also just the order of doing it. Like, you really want to make sure you unpair your watch before you start, you erase your old iPhone. Yeah. I mean, I think that would unpair it anyway, but you want to be able to back up your Apple Watch, and the truth is, 
all of the information from your Apple Watch is actually on your iPhone. I know. I was thinking, is there anything really important on my Apple Watch that I want backed up? And I guess health data. Health data, um, if you have alarms set or music, you know, like playlists you've synced to your Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. It, it wouldn't be the big blow it would be if you lost all the data from your iPhone, but it's still kind of inconvenient. Yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking health data actually would be backed up on your phone already anyway, any, right. any time it syncs. So, so it's not yeah. a huge deal, but it will just make your life simpler yeah, if you for, just follow those steps. For people who've done more with customizing their Apple Watch, it'd be a bigger deal. Right, and if you like the idea of being able to email me and ask me questions, um, you can sign up for the Insider Program. And like Donna mentioned, there's a free trial, so this is a good time. So it's iphonelife.com insider. That's right. So let's get into the news section of the podcast. Uh, Connor, she wrote a, a post about Tim Cook taking blurry – or no, actually it was Todd. Yeah. But maybe you can tell us about it. Tim Cook took a blurry <laughs> Super Bowl photo and everyone went crazy about it. Yeah, pretty much – Tim Cook was at the Super Bowl, and he decided to take a photo with his iPhone, but it was a blurry photo, which he then tweeted out, and Twitter was like, oh no, (laughs) you can't do this. I mean, I get it because they just um, relaunched the shot on iPhone campaign, which when they did that with the iPhone 6, they won all these awards, so it was kind of a big deal, and now they're doing it for the iPhone 6S, so... People made fun of it by, like, photoshopping his photo onto a billboard and making fun of the campaign. <laughs> that is pretty hilarious. <laughs> so I it mean, was pretty funny. Wouldn't you look at the photo before you tweeted it? Come on, Tim Cook. <laughs> yeah, you would think. But I, I guess he probably just didn't think about, like, the backlash. Because it's, yeah, it's pretty but easy to Tim get Tim Cook. People pay attention when Tim Cook tweets things. And he knows that now. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Um, but he did then tweet another photo, right? He did. One that wasn't blurry. Yeah, he tweeted another photo that was actually, it looked really good. It was still of like the confetti coming down. And so yeah. he, he redeemed himself Maybe he quickly. just accidentally tweeted the wrong photo. Those thumbnails are really small. We'll let him know. say that. Okay. <laughs> but it is a funny, it's a, it, it reinforces Rayanne, our associate editor's point, that it's not so much the device as your skill as a photographer that will determine how well That's your photos true. turn out. Oh, I know. So I Tim know. Cook Personally, learned that the hard way. <laughs> my photos are all terrible. <laughs> Apple also just la- launched a new trade-in program for damaged iPhones, which is a departure from the past. Sarah, do you want to tell us about that? Well, basically, um, in the past, if like your screen was cracked or, you know, they weren't going to let you trade it in. And now you can trade it in for, a, you know, not a large amount of money, but at least you can trade it in and, and put that towards your uh, new iPhone. Although it would be worth seeing the difference between getting the iPhone repaired and then trading it in versus trading it in broken. And that was part of why I read they were doing it, because they were figuring out that by offering this trade-in program with the cracked screen plus the financial planning for getting a new iPhone, mm-hmm. it could actually be cheaper for their users to just go ahead and upgrade without getting it repaired beforehand. Hmm. So that was that was the thinking behind it. So it's just incentivizing people to upgrade. Exactly. Right. Right. And I then it's a co- good good thing cuz I've always thought the Apple's um, reuse and recycle program seemed pretty limited. That's true. I mean, I know people who are still using iPhone 4s. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like they should be. I mean, I guess Apple does some of their phones. They refurbish them and resell them. But I don't know why we should take 
usable phones, maybe not as fancy and stuff as the latest model, but people are getting use out of them. I don't know why we should take them out of circulation. I mean, I know why Apple wants to, right. but in terms of just from an ego standpoint, it seems silly and wasteful. That's true. Yeah. So what we're hearing is that for the iPhone 5S, I mean, it's going to vary depending on how badly damaged your phone is right. and if it's like completely smashed or not. But a damaged iPhone 5S is going for about $50, 200 for the iPhone 6, and uh, 250 for the iPhone 6 Plus. So for a smash screen, that seems pretty decent to yeah. me. Yeah, um, especially because Apple has now made it a very bad idea to get any third party, a cheaper person to fix your your iPhone. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, tell us about that. So uh, you may have heard about the ominous error 53. <laughs> and basically what that is, is the latest um, a version of iOS will turn your phone into a brick if you've had a previous repair to... Um, Possibly the home screen, but definitely if you had like the the home button repaired, if they detect any third party parts, or even if it's from an old iPhone, but it's not like the original one for your phone, your phone will become a brick once you update to iOS nine, and and they, none of your data will be recoverable. And the only solution that Apple's offering is to just buy a new iPhone. Although wow. you might be pissed off enough not to want to do that. Yeah, apparently the Guardian reported that. Um, uh, a freelance journalist had his uh, 5S broken when he was on site reporting, and because there were no Apple stores anywhere near where he was reporting, he just had it fixed locally. And then when he upgraded to iOS 9, his phone was bricked. And um, that's terrible. It's awful. I mean, you know, Apple's claiming this is because they don't want fraudulent parts and they don't want to endanger people's security, you know, and I really appreciate Apple's you know, attention to our privacy and security. I appreciate it a lot. But, I mean, think about it. Like, we, I live three hours from an Apple store, and I don't feel like being without my phone for a week to send it in or taking a whole day to drive it. I mean, right. you know, when my daughter's home screen broke, unfortunately her phone wasn't bricked when she upgraded to iOS 9, you know, I just was able to hand it over on my way home from work, and the next morning it was repaired, and it was right. great. And I think Apple needs to do a lot more to work with, you know, third party. Well, to make it possible to get your phone repaired locally, really. Yeah. And, and also it's just, you know, as a lot of these articles that you'll see out on the web point out, it's really ridiculous. You know, you would never agree to only ever for the rest of your car's life (laughs) to get it repaired at say the Toyota place or the Honda dealership or the Ford dealership, you know, Mm-hmm. it's it's right. just ridiculous like some people may choose to do that because they trust the standards more but it should be your choice yeah well especially if you have an older iphone or you're just not in a place where it's easy to get to an apple store yeah you should have other options and actually there's i guess there's a law firm in seattle that's planning to start a class action suit against apple wow yeah so and i mean i don't think apple has really been dealing well with it you know they're just kind of like oh we're just protecting you but they're you know i think Mm -hmm. they're being a little disingenuous there i think they're protecting themselves too and trying to put these third-party people out of business right well we'll definitely follow how that progresses and keep you guys posted um but in the meantime get your phone fixed at an apple store (laughs) <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. So last week we told you that Alphabet has surpassed uh, 
Apple is the most valuable company in the world. And <laughs> since then, I think like the day after yeah. <laughs> Alphabet, then, I mean, Apple is now on top again. Right. So we thought we should let you guys know that. And um, I think it's, you know, Apple is now over fi- worth over $500 billion and Alphabet was somewhere in the 450. Well, I don't think fourth. Apple's value has really changed. I think it's just that Alphabet lost like $50 million in value, right? Um, yeah, I don't think Apple has shifted a lot, but what had happened was the Alphabet stock shot up after they released their Q1 results, mm-hmm. and then it naturally kind of went back down, which changed right. their resulting market capitalization. But so it seems right. like based on how things do with different announcements, you know, they might be kind of going back and forth, surpassing each other and dropping below. And I think so, yeah. So... I don't know. It doesn't seem as exciting to me as like a really close like basketball game or anything. But <laughs> if you really get a kick out of following Apple stocks, this might be exciting for you. Mm-hmm. And the last thing we have on the news today is that Instagram has now finally brought multi-user support to the app. We had heard a while back that that was going to happen. Right. Uh, but Connor, do you want to tell us a little bit about, a little bit about that? Yeah, finally, Instagram mm-hmm. is going to let you easily switch between multiple accounts and up to five accounts. So this is particularly good for someone who <clears throat> either runs a business where mm-hmm. they want their personal Instagram and their business Instagram or I have friends who are social media managers who run multiple social media accounts and up until this point haven't really been able to switch without logging out, logging in, logging uh, out, what logging a pain. in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, my reaction when I first heard that they were going to do this was like, wait, they're not already doing it <laughs> because it seems so ridiculous. It, is, it does. Yeah. I mean, all the other social media app you know, services have kind of been doing this for a while, haven't they? Yeah, I've yeah. noticed Instagram has always kept it pretty simple. Like, you know, you can't, it's just a mobile app. Like, you can only just view it online mm-hmm. and things like that. But I guess you can send direct messages. They're, they're adding some more features over time. Right. But I'm, I think this was a pretty essential one, even for, like, a pretty simple app. It was long overdue. Definitely. Yeah. So next, we're talking about our Apple complaints and what we've learned this week with Apple. So, um... I think both of the points are mine this week, right, guys? <laughs> yeah. Um, first of all, my complaint is that I don't like shake to undo. For those of you who don't know, you have to shake your phone to undo. It works for when you're writing an email, if you delete a sentence, or anytime you delete something and you can shake it In to get it back. Email, yeah. It's supposed to work. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I've just noticed, like... <laughs> It's just a strange thing because you find yourself shaking your phone to get something back and it doesn't work and then you're like shaking it more violently and it just like seems to like make you even more angry and violent. <laughs> it's the worst. I've st- I find it works for if I delete text or or type some text I want to undo. Yeah. But in email, it doesn't work at all. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, also when you delete something by accident, you're already a little bit panicked like I don't know I just I've had a couple of experiences where I'm just like violently shaking my phone and at this point happening. I just go into the deleted inbox and move it back into my inbox right. which is kind of ridiculous like yeah I want shake to undo to work and it's really failing me it's also similar to 3d touch in that it's not it's it's another thing you have to know is there in order for it to work um, and so I think a lot of people don't even know about that feature, but yeah. well, I'd, the, I'd be curious for the listeners, if anybody disagrees with me and loves the feature, let I us know. I have another shake to undo complaint. That's not actually mine, but I've, <laughs> I've heard it a lot, which is some people don't want it and, 
And then if you accidentally like shake your phone a little bit, it's like, oh, okay, I'll undo what you just did. And it's like, no. Yeah. And there's no way to like turn it off. You should be able to turn this kind of feature off. Hmm. Yeah, I'm actually surprised by that. Yeah, me too. Um, and our other complaint that has a good outcome was from Barton Kaufman, one of our readers. And I'll just read you what he wrote into us. Uh, I'm writing to you. Wait. Last spring when Apple introduced their Apple Watch, I purchased online the 42 millimeter 18 karat yellow gold gold case with black sport band uh, for $12,000. So Barton bought a, a nice uh, version of the Apple Watch. And what can I just say? I'm kind of surprised by his band choice. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's actually really true. I hadn't even thought a, of that. <laughs> but um, still, that's a nice Apple Watch. Yeah, it is. And so he got it had the um, sapphire crystal screen, and he dropped it 18 inches. He said, and it cracked. So he brought it to an Apple store and asked to get it fixed, and they said it would cost three thousand dollars to fix the screen, which is crazy. For an Apple Watch. Well, you know, yeah. it's interesting. They're finding that I have the – I did not buy a really nice one. I do also have the black sport band, but I have the <laughs> the sport model. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that has the Gorilla Glass, correct? Is that what it has? But they've found that it actually is holding up yeah. better than the Sapphire Crystal, yeah, which I've is very disappointing. The Sapphire yeah. Crystal for, is more prone to, like, scratches is what I've yeah, heard. Yeah. I mean, it's not disappointing for me, but – for people who really invested some money, that's yeah. you would expect yeah. that it would be more hardy and be of better quality than what I've got. Right. Yeah, and he says that he's had other luxury watches before, including Rolex, and that he it's never cost that much to replace a screen. Mm-hmm. So he wrote in, um, he emailed me and CC'd Tim Cook on that email, <laughs> and he got a response, and Apple is replacing. Apple responded, a representative, and they're going to replace his screen for free. That's so amazing. yeah, I thought That's that was great. really awesome and a good thing for readers to know. If something like that comes up, you might as well try. So yeah, if you get an answer that's not okay from the Apple, Apple store, store, I feel like you know the Apple store in general and Apple in general really cares about customer service. But sometimes, like Era Fifty Three and this, they kind of yeah. fall short. Uh, take it farther. Yeah. You know, don't take don't take that as the final answer. And also, if you have complaints about your iPhone, small ones or big ones like Barton's, then email us at podcasts at iphonelife.com. To me, Absolutely. My, my favorite part of this email is the fact that he gave us credit. He, <laughs> he, he was like, uh, Tim Cook, or I received a call from Apple telling me they were repairing my watch at no charge. Such is the power of iPhone life. I know. I, I feel we a loved little it. skeptical, but I, I feel like... I feel a little skeptical that it was us. I mean, I, yeah. I'm happy to take the credit, but I think that, you know, Apple likes to do things like this because it makes them look good, Yeah. you know, and... But maybe it helped saying, like, I'm going to the media and right. telling them the story, so, you know... We'll take it. You can, see, you can CC us on your emails, sure. <laughs> so a few episodes ago, we had an episode on parenting and iPhones with Sarah Kingsbury and Noah Simpson and Raph. And right now we want to follow up with their children. We don't have Raf's kids here, but we want to see what they think of technology rules. So I'd like to welcome on our special guests, Miles Simpson, who's nine years old, and Susanna Kingsbury, who's 16. Welcome, guys. Hi. So first of all, what devices do you guys use? Um, I have an iPhone 6 
S, I think. It's my mom's old phone, so that's the one I use. I most of the time use my our family's uh, iPad mini. And how do you like your devices? Do you have another one that you would love? It sounds like you guys have pretty up-to-date Yeah, devices. I like this one. I had a Galaxy S3 before, and I actually like this one a lot better, so it works out. So you like iPhones over Android? <laughs> there were things that I liked about Android, but this one's just so much newer, so it has a lot of benefits that I like. Right. So what rules do you guys have at home in terms of technology use? Susanna, do you want to start off? Okay, I can. Uh, when it comes to technology, it kind of varies. It used to be that before I went to bed, I had to charge my phone in my parents' room and I couldn't have it with me, but that's changed recently. Um, I don't know if now I can keep my phone in my room, but besides from that, I have to get all my like apps like approved on the app store, like you know, send a request to your parents. There's that mm. feature. My parents family sharing. Mm-hmm. We have family sharing, which is actually really convenient when I put in all my school activities and my mom can see those. But also then I have to like request apps. So there's two sides to it. And what about you, Miles? Um, on the weekends, Saturdays and Sundays, we are allowed to have one hour. Most of the time we have it in the morning. Sometimes on days that our school when school is off, we have a little screen time then. Um, but most of the time, it's just on the weekends, one hour. And what do you guys think of the rules? Do you wish anything was different, or do you feel like your parents have good reasons for the what they do? I'm okay with all of the rules and the family sharing and stuff. I know my little sister has it too, and if we didn't have it, I don't know, she'd probably be downloading <laughs> like hundreds of games onto her phone with like a bunch of things and... She might accidentally do some in-app purchases, and my mom has said that she just doesn't want us downloading inappropriate apps, which I don't have many apps on my phone, but it's good reasoning behind it. Um, I think my parents have very good rules. I don't have much dislikes um, for me being a little greedy. I do sometimes like would like more, and also my two older older and younger brothers would um but otherwise i think it's good are there any any fights around the house like when screen time is over or usually do you just hand in your phone hand in your ipad no problem um it used to happen we would always complain um my younger brother oliver would always throw a fit um Mm. but we've changed and we've realized that there's a lot more out there than just a device. So what are your, some of your favorite apps? Uh, well, I use my phone mainly for social media and listening to music and also for like school-related things. So when it comes to social media, I like apps like Snapchat, um, Tumblr, and Twitter. Um, and for school, I have a lot of organizational apps and like quizzing apps. I have Quizlet. I really like that. I can make like flashcards that I have on my phone. Um, Also like Google Drive, Google Docs. I have Duolingo. And there's this really great app I like called Forest, which basically if you want to be efficient in your studying or working on homework or something, you can plant a tree for a certain amount of time, say 25 to 35 minutes, and you Mm. work. 
you put your phone to the side and if you try to leave the app or exit it kills the tree that you've planted oh. so the incentive is you work for that amount of time you don't like get distracted by your phone and then once you're done there's a little tree in your yard for that day and so cool. you see how many trees you can plant and stuff like that do you find that not wanting to kill the tree actually stops you from like mm-hmm. want, like leaving your task yeah it does it's like a cute little motivating thing to help me work on my stuff I guess Cool. What what are some of the apps you use, Miles? Um, most of the time, I just do the lots of games. There are many games. I don't have any favorites. Um, most of the time, I just play multiple games. I can't <laughs> think of any that are my top or the ones I play the most. So I like many. a lot of games. Would you call any of them like educational? Do you feel like you learn anything from them? Um, or is it more just for fun? I think most of them are just for fun. You might learn something if you try paying attention, but <laughs> otherwise I don't think you do. It's just for fun. Have you ever had your phone like taken away for punishment or your iPad or just not had access to it? And if so, what was that like for you? Yeah, I get my phone taken away sometimes just for like random reasons. It's never like for like a consi- consistently, like if you do this, you lose your phone. But mm-hmm. usually, usually I'm fine. Like without it, it's not like I've never had it. Taken not away lost without it. <laughs> for a day. Yeah, it's fine. Um, when I was young, I used to completely take it away, have advantage over it, um, and I got taken away for about a month, which to me, actually, I found out that that did not bother me at all, because <laughs> um, there are many other devices, that was only one, so <laughs> to me, it felt like I had others, and I was fine with the rules, so... I have gotten it take away, and it was tough because it wasn't just that. I couldn't have any other screen time. To me, that was upsetting because my older brothers and my younger brother could do more. But to me, I just, it doesn't happen very often. So you guys are what you'd call digital natives. Basically, your whole life, you've grown up with technology. What would you, what do you think your life would be like without it? I don't know. I think I'm like kind of on the tail end because I remember when I was little, like watching movies on VHS and on DVD, like I go to the library and check them out. So technology really started becoming a huge thing when I was probably six or seven years old or just like Mm -hmm. early mid childhood. And like it didn't really become a very significant part of my life um, until I don't know, I would say I was a teenager really like a very young teenager like 13 mm-hmm. that's when a lot of my friends started having phones and even a lot of people still had like flip phones then and mm-hmm. it was always like yeah, that's what like, i had <laughs> yeah and if you had like the sliding keyboard like the one where it's a touch screen it slid up and there was a keyboard like everybody was like whoa like that's, <laughs> that's a point. relic <laughs> but i think nowadays it's a really important part in my life and like we are allowed to during school sometimes we're encouraged to like use our phones to like look up definitions or like search for things Mm. so it's definitely just become like integrated into my life now I guess and what about you can you imagine life without technology I can um I would probably 
be outside playing with my brothers, probably wrestling more, running with my neighbors. So I would, I, if I knew there was something like that out there, I'd be upset. Uh, but if there wasn't, I think I would be fine. Do you feel like technology right now means that you don't go and do those things outside? Not really. I do. It's just I don't do it as often. All right. And just to wrap it up, what would you guys say that you wish your parents knew about kids and devices? I have to think about that for a little (laughs) bit. Like, what do you think the rules should be? Maybe that's an easier way to put it. Uh... Well, we have had a test for having no devices for two weeks, which actually, to me, felt I felt a lot happier. I was a lot more active, and to me that felt good, so I, I think I'm okay. Yeah, I think, I think there are differences. Like, each kid is different, and depending on the age and, like, what's going on with their life, but I feel like... I guess parents should, like, trust their kids' judgment more when it comes to using their devices, I would say. And I have actually, I actually lied. I have one more question. (laughs) What's it like being on social media with your parents? Miles, I don't know. You might not be old enough to be on social media quite yet, but Susanna, what would you say about that? Um, The only social media that I, my mom and I are on is Facebook, which is, I usually don't post many things to Facebook, but it is, it is funny. (laughs) She'll tag me in things sometimes or, like, pictures of dogs and she always will say oh your friend looks so cute with her boyfriend but I didn't like the post that would have been weird right and so, <laughs> so I she's just silently stalking <laughs> yeah it is but yeah there's nothing really weird about it like especially with Facebook it's just a way to like stay connected with people you know so she doesn't have a Twitter account or she isn't on Snapchat so I think it would be different (laughs) if she were. So you're cool with her being on Facebook too. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. Thanks so much for being with us today guys. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right. So now we're going to get into our main theme which is music creation with your iPhone and we have here with us today our special guest Mike Riley who's been a longtime iPhone life contributor. Welcome Mike. Hi Mike. Hi. Glad to be here. So, first of all, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and give us some background on your musical activities? Sure. Well, I've been playing music for a long time. I first started learning piano when I was just a kid, and then uh, eventually picked up some other instruments. And along the way, uh, computers became part of my life, and merging computers and music together was just a natural uh, development, as it has been with the music industry in, in general. And been in several bands, uh, one recently, uh, or my most recent band, being called the Tech Tones. And how has uh, the iPhone and iPad played into your... Uh, music creation. At what point did you start using that in the creative process? Yeah, lately it's been an absolutely integral part of the creative process. Um, in addition to a lot of the new software and tools that are available, specifically I find in the iPad very helpful because of the larger touchscreen interface and some of the mm-hmm. more interesting and dynamic applications that you can find on that platform. 
but just from the fact that it makes it so much easier to capture that riff that you have in your head or uh, when you're on the go, if you just want to capture that moment or that, that essence, that feeling, uh, that, that tune that might be just rambling in your head or you wake up in the morning, kind of like the um, Paul McCartney uh, with his yesterday's uh, story where he uh, had the idea of scrambled eggs, but it turned out to be a beautiful song called Yesterday. And it's those kind of things where you have that iPhone or the iPad right next to your bed's bedside, and you're able to pick it up, sketch out, or you know, put in some sort of uh, musical thought that you had, and easily have it captured and translated. It makes that creative process so much easier and so much fluid, more fluid. So what app specifically would you use to sort of capture those musical ideas? Well, there's a number of them, but the, the obvious one uh, that's available for everybody who has an iPad and iPhone is GarageBand. GarageBand is a fantastic and very easy-to-use musical tool that is used by both hobbyists and professionals alike. Now, I, I've yet mm -hmm. to meet a professional musician who's actually recorded a commercial album entirely with GarageBand, but... Uh, a lot of the genesis of a lot of the songs and things that usually are part of that creative process usually began with a loop or a, a musical notation of sort in that was captured in GarageBand. Um, there's still a lot of the old-fashioned, you know, have a recorder nearby, but with the iPad and the iPhone being so ubiquitous these days, it's only natural that they, that it's kind of become the predominant platform for capturing those musical ideas. Interesting. So are you saying it's more of like GarageBand would be used more as a springboard for professional artists or there is actually some components of the music that, that were created with GarageBand? Um, I would say it's more for prototyping from a professional standpoint. From a hobbyist standpoint, hmm. you can make some great music uh, using GarageBand. There's a lot of loops that are already included as part of the product and Apple makes it so easy for non-musicians and you know budding musicians alike to be able to express those musical ideas in a very, very few number of steps. Uh, once you get comfortable with the interface and you start to noodle around and you get creative, uh, it's, it's really impressive what people can come up with in a very short period of time. So when you say that it's easy to use, I mean, I have no musical background. I'm just curious <laughs> for our readers, like for people who have no musical experience, is that something they can jump into and start using? Or do you mean more for someone who has a trained background in Music well, creation. I would say certainly for those people who are musically inclined, it comes more more naturally. Just like using right. a word processor for a writer would come more naturally to have the words flow. But if they can tap mm -hmm. in time, and even if they don't tap necessarily in perfect timing, <laughs> uh, there's tools on in GarageBand and other musical apps that allow you to fix that timing so it is in more synchronous, perfect timing. It's called quantization. And uh, that little tool is part of GarageBand. And if you just tap out uh, on, say, start up with the, a drum kit that you like to bring up, and mm -hmm. you can bring up a number of drum kits as, as well as a whole, whole host of other musical instruments in GarageBand as well. But bring up the drum kit and just start tapping. Tap out a, a, a pattern that you like to hear. And then take that pattern and you can loop it so that now you can create a continuous drum kit sound in the background. Grab another instrument sort of noodle around with it. And while, again, you may not have the musical theory behind it, people pretty much know generally what sounds good. And as they start to develop that intuition, they'll find out that they can become pretty pretty intuitive and pretty uh, skilled with the tool 
just like anything, uh, any iPad app or any iPhone app, as you get to use it and get comfortable with it, you begin to master it and you'll be surprised just how creative you can become with them. And can you also, um, if you play any instruments, can you also record that and bring that into GarageBand as well or you use all of the virtual instruments? Uh, the virtual instruments are probably easiest to start with just because they're so well recorded. They've got a clean, uh, professionally captured audio quality mm -hmm. to them. Uh, you can bring in other audio samples. It's actually easier to do that on the uh, Mac version of GarageBand than it is on the iPhone mm. and iPad versions. But uh, you certainly can capture it. Uh, you know, when you're doing it, a capture from uh, the iPhone or iPad, it's just using the internal mic. And so audio quality may not be the greatest. But again, if you're just trying to capture musical ideas and prototype some songs that way, it works perfectly fine. Now, do you ever use voice memos or the new music memos to capture musical ideas? Because I've definitely heard of musicians doing that as a way to capture their musical ideas. Yeah, that's a great little tool that Apple came up with. And I think that they it was more of a response, in my opinion anyway, of those folks who said, you know, it takes a little bit of time to get to that screen that I want to capture that idea using GarageBand. And GarageBand, like I said, is perfectly capable of doing that. But with the uh, music memos, uh, those are so much easier because it's literally just a tap of a button, sort of like a photographer taking a picture with the mm -hmm. camera. Uh, musical memos works the same way for those people who are audiophiles and musicians who they've, they've got that inspiration at that very moment and they want to capture that right away before that fleeting moment uh, goes away. And that way, uh, it's just so easy to just hit the app, press record, and it's captured. And then from that point on, after you've captured that moment, uh, you can mix and match and resynthesize the sound with any way you need to do, have it done. Now granted, again, you're only capturing it that the quality of what's built into the iPhone and iPad uh, mic devices. But for those you know, inspirational moments, works great. And um, is it something that you can use collaboratively? Like you mentioned your band, Tectones. Do you use GarageBand with them, or is it more something you use on your own to just jot down ideas, uh, basically? Yeah, I, th I think it's more, from the, like, again, from a prototyping standpoint, right. it's great to come up with those musical ideas, and that way you can share it. Now, what's nice about GarageBand is that it, because it's a file, you can simply just send that file, and it becomes a collaborative process. It's not a real-time collaborative process because, you know, a lot of times you have to trade the file back and forth, but at least you've captured the essence and it's able to be edited so that if, let's say, a collaborating, music collaborating musician wants to express a different tone or a different feeling or create a bridge or something of that nature, they can easily implement that in that GarageBand file and then, you know, sort of ping-pong it back and forth. And uh, that's another great way to keep it collaborative. And... As long as you're using the, the built-in sounds in GarageBand, uh, the files themselves, the file sizes are relatively small because it's just calling upon those uh, pre-built samples rather than carrying those samples back and forth. So it makes it so much easier to be able to collaborate on. I was just thinking we need something like Google Docs, but for GarageBand music, <laughs> real-time editing. Right. That'd be that'd be cool. Uh, again, the I think the problem that I've seen uh, where we've done some of the temps, you know, we've done things like uh, using Skype or uh, FaceTime, but there's just that slight imperceptible lag that makes it really difficult to jam in real time. Um, yeah, perhaps right. once we all get gigabit Ethernet to the home and we've got fiber everywhere. 
that won't be as much of an issue. But um, yeah, that'd be a really cool idea once that actually happens. Now, um, you mentioned that this, that music memos and voice memos lets you get your ideas out really fast. How did, how did you do it before you had your iPhone and iPad? Did you, how has your creative process changed, I guess? Uh, well, a lot of the old-fashioned media of uh, well, that started with cassette and reel-to-reel uh, and the digital recording on di- various different media formats. Um, a lot of times, you know, you when you would get together uh, with the bandmates, you just started jamming. And uh, before we had the ability to capture all that in real time, um, a lot of it had to be done with that notation and sort of everybody locking in on that groove and saying, okay, this is the sound we're trying to look and capture. Uh, but once we were able to start digitally recording our sessions, it made it so much easier to, to be able to capture that moment mm-hmm. and then isolate it. And now with things like the iPad and the iPhone, um, it makes it that much easier because now you can actually uh, notate when that moment occurred. So you don't have to scrub this three-hour jam session to find that one minute that just was perfect. Um, and it makes it that much easier to be ide- able to identify the right. part in the track that you want to seek very quickly and be able to isolate. So we've talked a lot about how um, iPhones and iPads can play a role in the creative process, but what about performance? I know, and I've spoken to you about this before, you spoke about how iPads are really playing an important part in performances. Absolutely. Um, you know, I've started seeing more and more on uh, commercial broadcasts, um, wherever they're having bands play, that usually you can see one or two iPads already set up on a tripod. And whether the musicians are using that for percussive needs or even controlling lighting for that matter, uh, you know, the the part of the stage show and the effects, uh, those are all can be controlled from an iPad these days. And uh, again, it's just that easy intuitive touch interface that makes it so approachable and uh, you don't have to worry about all the overhead that goes into setting up a whole cascade of different equipment to accomplish the same effect. So uh, I've seen it so that it makes it, it just it's just so much easier to set up, especially for smaller bands that are out on the road traveling or out on, you know, a small venue. They don't have a lot of space on the stage and yet they've got to carry around a, a large kit of uh, different effects and samples and things like that. The iPad provides that role perfectly. That's really cool. Um, what do you think is kind of the future of this? I mean, there's all this exciting technology, but I mean, what what do you think the new innovations are going to be in this sort of Apple iOS and music and performing arts sort of coming together? Well, one of the things I'm looking forward to, and I'm surprised that I haven't seen anything yet, uh, where that with Apple's release of their iPad Pro, it makes the touch surface of an iPad so much larger so that now you've got a lot larger screen real estate, a lot more effects that you can put on uh, the, the display right. so that it will make it the performance that much more expressive because now the palette is so much easier to get to. You don't have to go through and scroll and swipe and things of that nature. So I can see uh, really savvy musicians taking advantage of that screen real estate once there's apps out there that start to support it. And of course, there's other apps that are musically related as well, like DJ apps, where you've got the scratch for the record and things like that. Uh, I can see that being a 
the iPad Pro in particular being a perfect platform for that. Again, because of that larger screen real estate and the uh, different effects that the iPad Pro can uh, manage with the gesturing. Have you tried many other apps besides GarageBand, like some of these DJ apps? Yeah, I have. Uh, there's a couple of them. There's uh, one company in particular that is very prolific in both the hardware and the software space, IK Multimedia. In fact, I've reviewed their products for years. Mm -hmm. uh, if you go to iPhone Life and you can see a number of them that I've done. These folks are, uh, are incredibly prolific. Uh, it seems like every month they're releasing yet a new piece of hardware or software. I use several of their products. Really happy with them. Only thing is, and this is just you know the nature of the beast being part of Apple's ecosystem, is that uh, when Apple first came out with the iPad and I, iPhone, of course, it had that 35-pin connector that we all mm -hmm. know from the <laughs> yeah. old days. And then when they switched over to the lightning connector, well, all that old equipment was now more or less useless. So a lot of their old hardware had to be upgraded. And, of course, you know, it was improved over time as well. But, um, you know, that's the one thing that's sort of the downer when it comes to Apple's proprietary connectors. Mm -hmm. You have to be prepared so that um, when another new device comes out, it may negate some of the old hardware investments that you made. So it would be nice that uh, kind of like back in the 80s when proprietary connectors were starting to become a real hassle and a standard called MIDI, Musical Instrument Digital Interface, which is a four-pin DIN connector, became more or less the predominant uh, connection point for musicians be nice to have something like that so that it was cross-platform work with PC, Mac, um, Android, uh, iPhone, iOS, that type of thing. I don't see it happening anytime real soon, mm -hmm. but it sure would be nice to just know that there's a universal standard out there that everybody can plug and play. Right. Um, so with IK Multimedia, is it a product and an app that work in, co in combination that you liked? Because you mentioned apps of theirs and then also products. Right, they do have a various configurations of both. Um, a lot of times with their products, their hardware products, they do have software products. Uh, sometimes their software products are a, bit, a little bit hit and miss. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think they can use a little bit of work on the UI, but in terms of the functionality, obviously bringing some of their products, the hardware in line, uh, those, those applications are a way to really hook in. And then their products can also be used with other third parties too. Um, there's a great little... Uh, utility that I use for my guitar when I play guitar through the iPad called Amplitube and that allows for a number of different distortion and speaker effects that normally in the past you'd have to get five six hundred dollar uh, rackable rigs to, to make the same same type of sounds and effects that you would get out of this seven dollar app it's it's really quite amazing wow so would you say then that uh, like iPhones and iPads and all these apps and accompanying things have even though you might have to invest in some hardware, has really made music more accessible? Oh, absolutely. The cost of the, the, the barrier of entry and its cost is so low compared to what it used to be back in the day. Uh, it, it really puts anybody who has any inclination to explore musical ideas in you know, an investment probably less than $50, $60. And they are able to get relatively prosumer capability of uh, musicianship uh, just from those apps as a starter. And of course, if they do have musical uh, capabilities, whether they play guitar, play piano, uh, those can really uh, be taken advantage of and they'll find th themselves their own musicianship uh, growing as a result 
of participating in these apps. For someone just getting started, what product, if you could just choose one, would you recommend to get? Oh, no, 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 no question. Hands down, it's GarageBand. Again, that comes built in uh, as part of a new iPad, and uh, it's, it's intuitive, it's easy. And I think you can download uh, it for free for the iPhone, but although it's not, it doesn't come automatically, correct? Right, exactly. And again, the iPhone, it'll work, but that screen interface is a little small. Right. Uh, I prefer yeah. the iPad. It's just much, much easier to work with. But it just, it's so easy to work with, so intuitive. There's uh, just a ton of different tutorials that are online, various uh, services like YouTube and such, that uh, you'll find a lot of inspiration to be able to pick up on and really make some great music that way. And what about hardware? Do you have any products like or one product that you could recommend? Oh wow, she's mm -hmm. uh, or a few. <laughs> that's a good question. You can't narrow it yeah, down. I'm, I'm thinking that. Um, I would just say, you know, if you want to get started, um, and you're and you're a little bit more serious than just I'm going to tinker around mm -hmm. with this, um, to go and visit the ikmultimedia.com website. You'll see that their page just seems to scroll on forever, and it's you know if you're a guitar player, they've got a pickup that plugs into guitar for uh, able to record that. If you're a, a vocalist, they've got uh, a, an iMic that allow you to capture your voice and a accompanying app that'll allow you to manipulate the voice and import that into uh, GarageBand and other apps. And uh, if you're a keyboardist, there's other capture utilities, DJs, same thing. I mean, it's, it seems like the list goes on forever. So there's mm -hmm. definitely something for someone uh, on that product site. And um, what problems still remain in order to, that need to be addressed to further promote Apple iOS technologies and music and other performing arts? Well, of course, what I mentioned earlier, the, the need for a universal connector. Yeah, <laughs> we all need that for I everything. Know. Sadly, <laughs> I'm, I'm in agreement with you that I don't know if I see that coming anytime soon. I agree. Um, I think another thing is that while Apple has done a fantastic job with promoting the iPhone's camera, and you know, as a prosumer uh, means for getting people interested in photography, I think they've also got a great opportunity as they improve the hardware and the recording capabilities and the audio capture capabilities of the iPhone and the iPad, that they could also help to elevate the musical inspiration people out there. Uh, again, once they can really get a much better audio capture quality out of their mics, uh, that will really help to drive a lot of creativity in the musical space. Great. Well, thank you so much for yeah, this is so interesting joining to us about today. This. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. I had a great time. All right. Well, come back soon, Mike. Will do. All right. Thanks.